everybody. It's the Spain and Fitz podcast. Stick around after the show from tonight for a quick little post party where we get some good vibes and talk a little Halloween stuff. It's Friday and it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I am feeling spunky, Sarah. I just like, I got a lot of energy. It's the night before Halloween. I'm excited to get to hang out with you. It is a, it's going to be a good, good night. I can feel that in my bones, but there's no easy way to transition. The biggest story in all of sports right now, it's not a positive one if you're a Clemson football fan, and that is that Trevor Lawrence is obviously COVID 19 positive. We got the news just before our show ended yesterday and that leads to a, a ton of questions about what's next for Clemson and really how everybody will react to this. Yeah, I mean, this was the news that we got at the last second of last night's show and so we we mentioned it and then my brain started to go with, okay, what does it mean for this game this weekend? Obviously they will be without him, but this is a Clemson team that should be able to get a win anyway. But next week, Notre Dame, what does it mean for the playoff committee? What does it mean for Trevor Lawrence and his decision to finish this year, to come back, to go to the NFL. As of right now, just mild symptoms, which is the most important part of this fits, of course. Um, but I, I, it opens up a lot more question marks than merely how long is he out. I, I, I have to, and I can't believe we have to say this, but loudly, before we say anything else, let's stress what you just said. The most important part of this is Trevor Lawrence's health. Uh, Short term, Trevor Lawrence's health. Long term, whatever ramifications, I know we just presume that he's got COVID-19 and he'll be fine and all these questions about when he's going to be able to play. But let's be real, like we are seeing some pro athletes struggle with it. So number one, we need to make sure that we at least have our mind wrapped around the fact that Trevor Lawrence needs to get healthy and the symptoms are mild so far from what we know. But uh, Sarah, that's got to be the main concern. And then and and the rest of the team. Because what we do know is that there is an incubation period, and he was practicing Wednesday, tested positive Thursday. Right now, it has not affected anyone else. But there is a certain amount of time that needs to pass before I feel comfortable presuming that he didn't pass it to anyone else on the team. Yeah, and that's such a fair point that this is how often have we seen it? Remember, when the Wisconsin breakout started, uh, we we heard, you know, one or two tests, and now we Mm -hmm. sit at 16. So Mm -hmm. it shows you how this spread goes. Now, uh, obviously, it's going to raise some questions about what's going to happen. Is the Clemson, and this is the most important thing that I don't think everybody realizes about what's left for Clemson in their quarterback room. Every single quarterback they have left is a freshman. And that's an important piece here because there isn't anybody they can lean on with any experience. Uh, DJ Uyunglele uh, was very, is a hot prospect. He's somebody that was really highly recruited, but he's a freshman. So, you know, how that will look for when you don't have Trevor Lawrence even on the sideline. I will be interested, Sarah, to see what it looks like within the game because Trevor Lawrence not being there is already one impact. Trevor Lawrence not being there to be a mentor is another impact. It's not just Clemson players that now have a tougher job. It's also Clemson coaches. Yeah, 100%. Um, And... Uh, you know, uh, Reese Davis, who was on college or is from college day, game day, was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons and talked about sort of what this means for the team as a whole as they approach now and longer than now in the future. You don't know what you don't know what it would mean the following week against Notre Dame either. As it pertains to football, it's a big deal. I mean, they've got they've got two really talented quarterbacks behind him, but both are young and neither have played. And they also have some injuries on the defensive side. So, you know, depending on what Trevor's status would be for Notre Dame the following week, and it's highly uh, possible that they will go in there at far less than full strength. And with the, uh, we've talked about it in other contexts, the limited number of games for other conferences, you know, what if, what if Clemson drops one of those games? You know, what, you know, what if they drop 
two of them and somehow didn't play in the ACC championship game. Now, I don't think that's likely. And, Sarah, that's a really – I mean – that's one element of this, right, is is what's it mean for Clemson on the field, especially because, not. I mean, Boston College, I think they can handle even without Trevor Lawrence, but you never know. Mm-hmm. But the Notre Dame game is obviously currently number one versus number four. I, how that will affect and impact their playoff standing is going to be an interesting portion of this. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think – What's interesting about this year is because it's so strange, it's a little bit safer to presume that they will be able to look at these games as anomalies if the team performs well enough without him and then just as well as they were before when he comes back. Um, and, and Heather Dinich kind of went over this on KJNZ this morning, the idea of, you know, is there any precedent for what the committee looks at when they're looking at big players not being available? We've seen it with Trevor Lawrence. Guys, I looked it up last night because I remember this. 2018, Clemson's playing Syracuse. Trevor Lawrence gets knocked out of the game, which what, what I think was a head injury. And Chase Bryce goes in and comes in and wins the day for them. It was a very close game. I want to say they won like 27, 23, 24, something like that. And the big question was, oh, they didn't look too great in that game. What is this election meeting going to think with um, Trevor Lawrence injured in that game? And in the end, it didn't impact them because because they won every game and they made it to the CFP. But we have seen this happen before. Um, and, and look, again, the question is, what do they look like without him in the lineup? What do they look like down the stretch with him in the lineup? At the end of the day, it's are they a top four team down the stretch when the committee rankings start? And look, they don't even start till November 24th. <laughs> so there's plenty of time for Clemson to figure this out. It's a really important point she made there, Sarah, because I, I sat in the mock committee room a couple of years ago and it came up in that conversation too. Like they're actually, the committee is reminded of this. Not not only is it in the bylaws, they're reminded, hey, you, you have to factor the player availability when looking at outcomes of different games. So I think that's a huge point for the playoff because realistically, if Clemson were to lose a, a close game to Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, I don't think the committee is going to fault them for that at all because there's precedent to not. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I can't say it enough. This committee is going to have a very tough job because a different number of games played, the health of teams, et cetera. But they're also going to have more outs than ever when it comes to just saying, we're going to use the eye test, right? We're just going to tell you who we think is the best based on a million different qualifiers. None of them are the same for any of these teams, and you're not going to have a great leg to stand on if you try to argue against our methodology because it's such a strange year. Well, and then the other side of it is we keep talking about will he get back in time for Notre Dame, which I think is a little bit, you know, putting the cart in front of the horse. The other side for me is if you're Trevor Lawrence, you've accomplished everything that you've accomplished as a young man. You've had so many accolades. You've done so much, and you're presumed to be the number one pick overall in the NFL draft. You now have COVID-19, and we've seen that not every athlete responds the same to it. I mean, I think you at least have to have a real genuine conversation with your family about whether or not you're comfortable playing at this point because uh, all rules change once you have it, right? Like how many people do we know in, in life in general that we? it seems like everybody knows somebody that was a little flippant with it, then got it, and they're like, okay, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Trevor was flippant. I'm just saying that actually having the virus changes the way you perceive everything once you've had it. And he's got to look at it and protect himself. I'm not sure it's such a guarantee that he won't look at opportunities to maybe opt out. I mean, that should be part of his process. 
Yeah, I think there's a number of, of things to think about. One, of course, is exactly how many symptoms he feels, how severe they are, how safe he feels it is to return to action um, with a body that isn't at 100 percent, depending on how or if he's affected beyond you know the certain amount of time before the virus is technically no longer present. Um, and then those decisions. I mean, listen, there was already enough conversation. He left the door ajar about coming back to play again. Um, and I don't know what I, I can't get in his head fits to think about what kind of guy he is when it comes to does he want to finish his collegiate career with a title? Does he want to finish with any records, which, you know, this year is, is there's that's kind of out the window. But are there goals that he feels like he needs to hit with a team or himself personally before he wants to move on? And how would that be affected by missing games, by his team struggling without him, by any number of things? Uh, so a lot to think about for for him, not the least of which is the the, the Jets looming. Right. Potentially. <laughs> well, and I think that's part of the nuance of the conversation. I don't think anything's as cut and dry as I have COVID-19 and I'm done. I also don't think it's as cut as dry as I feel better. So I'm back. Like, mm-hmm. I just think that there's a lot of layers to this conversation. And I'll stress that again, not just for Trevor, but also for Trevor and his family, because it is such a, a big decision for everybody involved. Uh, it is Halloween weekend. So we want you guys to chime in and be part of the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official college football's back. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper loving college football town fansville head to a store next to you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice cold 20 ounce dr pepper today we want you guys to chime in and uh, hit us up on the dr pepper twitter feed since it's halloween what crazy ways have you figured out to deliver candy in a covid19 world we'll tie it all together you can tweet us at spain and fitz at sarah spain at jason fitz interested to see how you guys uh, would handle it i want your craziest ideas to make us laugh we could use that coming up we'll keep the conversation going the question is how's Dabo sweeney handling his game prep without his star quarterback we'll find out next from somebody that is at Clemson to give us expertise. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. It's a Friday edition of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And I haven't even had the Halloween sugar yet. Whoa, wait till that gets going. All right. Uh, Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the big news of the day, and that's Trevor Lawrence not being available because he's tested positive for COVID-19. So let's head over to the Shell Penzo performance line where we can get the latest from our very own Holly Rowe joining us there. Holly, thank you so much for the time. Hope you and yours are safe, most importantly. So uh, let's start with the basics here. What's the latest with Trevor Lawrence in Clemson? Well, Trevor Lawrence is isolating at home. He has a COVID test that was positive. He did practice with the team on Wednesday before receiving those results on Thursday. I did talk to Dabo Sweeney, the head coach, today, and he's not concerned about a further outbreak because they believe they've isolated the source of where he was, um, you know, exposed to COVID, and it was not at the football facility. So that that is really good news that they don't feel like this is a more widespread outbreak at this point. The entire team, though, does get tested again before their game on Saturday. So we will see in the morning when those results come back. Holly, a lot of people talking about the quarantine length of 10 days. Um, Do we know at all when the symptoms started for him and where they'll start counting from, presuming that he gets well soon and attempts to be back for that Notre Dame game? That's the one thing we don't know. I can tell you that we spoke our TV crew with Trevor Lawrence on Wednesday morning, and he did not appear to have symptoms at that time. He was planning on playing. He thought everything was fine. Um, But we don't know that for sure. He did practice on Wednesday, and I did ask Dabo Sweeney, what is the timeline? And he said, Holly, the only timeline I care about is Boston College at noon on Saturday. The rest of the world can obsess and try to figure out what this timeline is. 
But Sarah, some interesting news we did ask. Greg McElroy, our analyst, said, hey, just in a big picture world, would you play a player who hadn't practiced that week? Because if, if Trevor Lawrence quarantines for the 10 days, passes all of the protocols and the cardiac screening, it would be game day or the day before game day. And he said um, it depends on who the player was. If it was a freshman wide receiver, probably not. But if it's a guy like Trevor Lawrence, We've done it before. They've done it with C.J. Spiller in the past where he wasn't healthy during the week but who could play on game days. So they have not ruled out the possibility that Trevor Lawrence could return, but, of course, all of it will depend on how quickly he can recover from COVID-19. Obviously, Holly, they will have to play a freshman at quarterback, so D.J. Uyunglele comes in. So what can we expect? I mean, what are they expecting from their freshman quarterback? Yeah, this is kind of a cool story. So Dabo gets the call about Trevor, and he stands up, leaves his office, and wanders down the hallway. And the first place he looks in is the quarterback room, and there's DJ, the freshman, in there watching film by himself. They say he reminds them a lot of Deshaun Watson, who was very calm and quiet, kind of kept to himself, but was composed and had a lot of poise during games. They said, you know, we can draw stuff up on the board or show him things in a meeting. He can take those installations and put them into practice on the field very quickly. So they feel good about him. He had a full practice Thursday with the team and then another walkthrough today about 3 o'clock at the stadium. And Dabo said he looked good in practice yesterday. So I do believe they trust him. But, hey, if if he struggles throwing the ball against this good Boston College defense, got a pretty good security blanket in Travis Etienne. They're great running back, maybe the best running back in the country right now. Like, if you can hand it to him 30 times, Things might be okay, but I I think they do believe in DJ, and they told us that the game plan has not really changed. They think he can make all the throws that Trevor Lawrence does, and and they're going to give him a shot. The great Holly Rowe with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio from Clemson ahead of this game without Trevor Lawrence. Holly, uh, I'm curious because you did mention that they think Trevor Lawrence was uh, was, uh, given COVID or infected with COVID elsewhere. Um, How long is this incubation period? Is there a concern that maybe it's just not showing up to anyone he may have given it to on Wednesday in practice if he was uh, not aware yet that he had it? I don't think they know that. And I think if we knew that as a society, that the pandemic would be under much more control. I can tell you that he tested negative on Sunday. Um, practiced Tuesday and Wednesday, and then you know that Wednesday test came back positive or came back positive on Thursday morning. So um, you just don't know. And you know I've heard anywhere from four to six days, um, but we just don't know that. So right now, you know, Dabo said he does not he was not worried about a larger infection on the group. Um, he didn't give me his reasons for saying that, but um, he seemed to feel pretty confident that this was an isolated incident. Holly, we genuinely appreciate your time. I know how busy it is for you. Thank you so much for the latest and greatest from Clemson. Stay safe, my friend. Always. Thank you, guys. Sarah, it's really interesting to hear Holly talk about it. And, it, you know, I talked to Holly earlier today on College Football Live, and one of the things she pointed out on the broadcast while we were on TV is that her son has just tested positive. And uh, in the beginning, he didn't have any symptoms. He didn't feel any symptoms. But when they started talking to her son about sort of, well, have you felt this and have you felt that? That's when he started to stop and say, wait, I have been dealing with some of these things. So mm-hmm. I think it's a reminder that very little, like especially in the moment, how often people are don't realize when they're starting to come down with something. Like there are so many variables right now to the timing of all of this that that's a big part of the conversation. But the spread of it has to be the other part that I don't know that anybody's talking about enough. 
Well, and not to mention the idea that, um, you know, th- it's becoming winter. It's becoming a time where you're going to feel under the weather and it might just be a cold. It might be the flu. It might be any strep. It might be any number of things. And so if people aren't really vigilant about like trusting what they're feeling and making sure to get tested, it's going to get spread even more. Um, and, and I mean, to that point, they've said since nine months ago or nine years ago, however long ago it was when this all began for us, they basically said everyone should walk around and act like they have it. Imagine that you have it because you could have it and not know. And if the way you're acting is likely to infect other people, then, you know, you're in big trouble. So so just act like you have it and, and react in the way that you would stay distant from people and wear a mask and everything else. Um, that's obviously not something you could do if you're on a football team, which is why a lot of people think these things are incongruous and shouldn't be happening simultaneously. But here we are. And uh, it's, it's only going to get worse, Fitz, I think, as the weather continues to get worse, as people are indoors a lot more. If you watch any of the videos showing how things spread uh, indoors without the circulation and without masks is is just a, a, a petri dish. Well, and what solves it? Like that that's the other the hard part about all of this is that there isn't for anybody that says, "Well, what's the solution?" I, I don't know that there is one. There's no easy solution here. Uh, so Yeah, the solution is to, uh reprogram the brains of the entire country to think of uh of freedom as freedom to care for each other and and move on healthily together and not freedom to do whatever the hell you want despite the fact that it doesn't help the spread and we're never going to get out of this well uh, and can we do that i mean if we do that i mean realistically <laughs> like what solves it and still allows college football to be played right like that's what what so many people are going to come back and 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 wonder and i just don't I, there's not an easy answer like this is the risk that everybody's taking and and this is why i think so many people were passionate about this decision to play for college sports particularly because they're not pro athletes so you know trevor lawrence is is putting you know hundreds of millions of dollars at stake is in essence every time he makes a decision to play now he made that decision and and now you know he has covid-19 so when you really look at it and say how do they move forward I don't think there is an easy answer that allows anybody to move forward other than week by week, just doing your best. I'm also really curious because, you know, Holly pointed out that the team figured that Trevor did not get it from team or practice. Where was he and what was he doing? I'm not going to shame him in any way. I'm just wondering, does that react? Does that influence the rest of the team and how they act? Are they looking around now saying, oh, this is a problem. We're going to we could bring it back to the team. Well, and how many times are we going to see it where one player tests positive and everybody says, no big deal, and then you realize it's spreading like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive, proud to honor our veterans by donating cars to move their lives forward, especially in times of need. Learn more about their Keys to Progress program and plans for 2020 at keystoprogress.com. Coming up, we'll get into a little NFL fun. We're going to make our six-pack of picks next. I'm leaning towards picking the Jets. No, I'm not. Spain and Fitz coming up next. <laughs> Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a Friday. Don't forget to tune in. (laughs) Thank you for that. Don't forget to tune into a football doubleheader this Sunday as the Bills host the Patriots, followed by the Chargers at the Broncos. Pre-game begins at noon Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. And speaking of an NFL weekend, We've got picks to make. We're not doing too bad, Fitz. So far, we didn't pick the first week. We did our divisional picks, and we will revisit those soon at the halfway mark to see how we do. I don't want to. I don't think you should (laughs) want to. We didn't do in the first week. So through seven weeks of picks, uh, I'm at 28-7, and and you're at 25-9-1. And And if you're wondering about those numbers, sometimes the game didn't get played because of COVID. Fitz got that weird tie in there. Either way, we're both well above 500 so let's see if we can keep it going 
why don't you give us your first pick? Well, first- it's time for a six-pack. A six-pack of games with Spain and Fitz. Yeah, I forgot we had an open now. Very so, fancy with uh, the big voice guy. Also, Sarah, let's make a pledge today. Let's both pick games that are actually happening this weekend. Like last weekend, we tried to sneak one in that <laughs> wasn't plan. there. So I feel like this is good. All right. Uh, I'll start us off then, but I will start us off, uh, as always, we don't have the big voice. So do you want you want, you want want to cover this yeah. one for me? All right. So my first pick is Ohio State, Penn State. I always like to take the Saturday night game. This is my shameless opportunity to promote that You can check out Countdown to Game Day, 8.30 a.m. Eastern on the ESPN app and everywhere digitally you watch ESPN. Plus the college football show, 7 to 8 p.m. Also in those same places, I'm on all that. So the big game of the weekend that game day's at, Ohio State, Penn State. As much as I love the creamery, that is the delightful, amazing ice cream that's available in Happy Valley. That's all that's going to be good in Penn State this weekend. Ohio State's going to roll. Penn State's not nearly as good as people think they are. Uh, they showed that in week one, uh, and, and Ohio State's going to come in and just thump everybody because they are clearly the class of the conference. So I, I believe that Ohio State's got too many weapons for a Penn State team that's just too depleted comparatively. So Ohio State's going to win. Right. I think they're going to roll. Okay, my first pick is NFL. Ooh, look at this. You got Saints and Bears. Yeah, we've got to pick our own teams every week, and this is actually a tough one for me because you want to throw your hands up in the air and say the Bears are trash after that debacle against the Rams, but Ever since Matt Nagy's been the coach there, the Bears are 8-4 after a loss and 5-0 and on short weeks. So this is a game that might be a little closer than we think. We also know that the Saints have a defensive efficiency that's 28th in the league, 23.2 defensive efficiency. No team has made the playoffs with a defensive efficiency below 30 since they started those ratings back in 2006. So can the Bears' offense look a little better against a bad defense with the Saints? Yes, but I still think the run game for the Saints is the difference because the Bears have had so much trouble stopping the run. Kamara and Murray are going to combine for a big number, and the Saints eke past my Bears. Oh, okay. I like that. Uh, since we're getting the uh, Band-Aids ripped off in the beginning, I'll, uh, I'll do the same. I'll go with a game I have to pick. Raiders at Browns. Ooh, tough one. Uh, this is actually, I think, going to be one of the best games of the weekend and one of the most important games of the weekend. I think both of these teams are playoff teams by the time the year is over, but this is a huge game for the tiebreaker that it may come down to. I, uh, honestly, as much as people think there's going to be a ton of points, remember that the Browns have the second-best run-block win rate in all of the NFL. They will be able to run the ball on the Raiders, but conversely, the Raiders are going to be able to run the ball on the Browns, so I expect them to be... Uh, this is going to be a lot of offense but not offense the way you think i do think though that the raiders have what it takes to get past the browns this was the beginning of the moment where i think the raiders offense starts to show how good they are as if that offensive line is even a shell of their help they're going to be a top 10 offense for the rest of the season they'll start that process in this game they'll show everybody they're a playoff team they'll beat the browns wow okay all right all right i've got my next pick going out to hopefully not snowy denver chargers at broncos so sometimes when I'm making my picks, I go around and I see what everybody else is thinking too. Just see if I'm wild and crazy in my gut instinct. And two of our ESPN experts have completely differing views of this. Legwald says Broncos 22, Chargers 21. A one-point game that the Broncos win. And then we've got Shelly Smith at Chargers 42, Broncos 12. Mm. So a totally different view of this game. I'm thinking a little closer to Jeff Legwald in terms of the tightness of the game, but I'm on Shelly's side. I do think this is a win. I think Justin Herbert is going to look great, and you have to look at Drew Locke's 19.9 total QBR in the last two weeks and say, I'm not yet anywhere near picking the Broncos for a win. You know, that was actually a really uh, a really courageous pick. I think that was a tough game, and I'm with you. I yeah. don't believe in Drew Locke. I just have a, a tough time with 
rookie quarterbacks. All right, well, now that we've gotten some of the tough ones out of the way, I think I will take one that we all know is easy. Jets at Chiefs. <laughs> Apparently they have to play the game, although mercy rule could come in. You know, maybe they could do running clock for us. Maybe they could just end wow. it at halftime and say, hey, you know, why put everybody at COVID risk for this one? Just give the Chiefs <laughs> the win. And, and frankly, we're not picking against the spread. I get that. But I'm telling you, I saw the last spread I saw was 19 and a half. I'd still take Kansas City if I had to. This is going to be an absolute Woo! demolition. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask you, not for our picks, but just for fun, what about the spread? The only chance they don't make the uh, beat the spread is if they just decide to sit Mahomes uh, for half the game, right, just to keep him safe. And they might do that because this is going to be a blowout. It's going to be a runaway. Maybe early on it'll be closer than you think because the Chiefs get a little sleepy in a very easy trap game. Uh, but then they remember what Chris Jones said, which is the Jets have guys out there. Yeah. And, they're gonna, and then they're going to start playing football again, and they're going to get the win. Let's go to your next pick. All right, so next up for me, I'm going to go with, a, you know, another really tough game to pick. Buccaneers at Giants. I'm just wow. piling up wins where I can get them. Tampa's going to roll all over the Giants, need, need not say anymore. But then we're going to overreact to everything about how great Tom Brady is, even though it's a trash win. <laughs> Championship. <laughs> By the way, we should, we should. I mean, if we were being fair, we would just eliminate the state of New York outside of the Bills from these because uh, between the Jets and, and, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, I guess they're Jersey, but still, that whole general area should be eliminated because these picks are too easy. Because I also went with the Buccaneers who are coming into their uh, strength. They look better than they have all season long the last two weeks. And the Giants, just a sad one in six team. Uh, that's not only bad this year, but is also missing out on prime opportunities to really see what they got in their quarterback. Um, this is going to be ugly. It's going to be easy, and the Bucks are going to win. Uh, if we took away New York, that'd be like playing video games on a harder level. Now, I just want to win, Sarah. I yeah. just want to win. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's let's keep uh, – this one might be a little bit tougher. You, you tell me. I'm going to go with – Vikings at Packers. Maybe this is a tough game. I don't mm. know. No, I'm just trying to find some reason to make it sound like I took a hard <laughs> pick. The Packers are going to roll all over the Vikings, who are going to end up really challenging the Falcons for the record as the most disappointing team in the NFL this season. I continue to remind everybody that Kirk Cousins is under such a massive contract, and so is head coach Mike Zimmer. They can't do anything to change it. So it's a, you're looking at two years of just wonderful football for the Vikings. Yeah, this has been so ugly. Ten picks already for Cousins this season, tied for the most in the NFL. Um, this Packers team is much better, regardless of whether it's supposed to be super windy there, regardless of, you know, the injury to Mason Crosby, the Packers kicker. Um, I still think you need a whole lot more than a windy day and an injury to a kicker to get the Vikings team to win uh, against Green Bay. So this is an easy one for me. I'm going Packers over Vikings, too. And I think we picked the last game the same as well, and that's Titans-Bengals. Titans and Bengals. Now, this wasn't a total gimme for me because there are some things that I've been seeing out of the Cincy team. They've really got some fight, and obviously it's been really fun to watch Joe Burrow. But in the end, it's a, a, a pretty solid Titans team that has lost only to the Steelers. And then it's a Bengals squad that's just really still figuring some stuff out, in, including, you know, talking smack about one of their wide receivers who's responding on Twitter. So there's, you know, battles inside and trade requests, and a lot of people are worried about what the future looks like for Burrow in that uh, franchise and whether they ever are really going to put enough into this team to win. In the meantime, Tennessee will get a nice, easy win and continue their role. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I went back and forth a little bit on this game only because I love Joe Burrow so much. I'll, I'll be honest about that. But the, the problem with the Bengals has been 
that they abandoned any attempt to balance offensively. Now, part of that's because their offensive line, I know, isn't particularly great, but they're putting Burrow back there to get killed 50 times a game with no problem. If the Bengals can come out and actually try to remain committed to establishing some sort of a run game, I think the Bengals can make this a game. The problem is it feels like between the the Burrow's greatness and, frankly, uh, Zach Taylor, the head coach and play caller there, uh, his sort of want to, to exploit that, it feels like they lose balance every week. Without yeah. that, they can't win. So I'm with you. I'm and taking the problem the for that is I believe that Joe Mixon is out again. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, going to hurt their run game. And as you mentioned, uh, their offensive line, I believe they are tied for the most sacks allowed this season, the Bengals. So uh, not doing many favors to Joe Burrow as they sit him back there to throw 100 times a game. Those are our six-pack of picks. Like I said, I'm 28-7. and seven. Fitz is 25-9-1 and one this year. So we're doing all right. Uh, coming up next, this might just be the night before Halloween for all of you, but this is a sacred weekend for Jason, and we need to talk a little bit about what he's missing out on this year. It's coming up. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Happy All Hallows Eve of All Hallows Eve. Did I get that right? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, all guests join us on the Shell Penzoil performance line. Uh, we are going to get into some Halloween tales of how Fitz usually spends this holiday when it's not a COVID year. And we put it up on the Twitter feed for you guys to help us out as well. This is going to be the first time in 16 years he won't have a big old Halloween party. So does anyone have any ideas of how Fitz should spend his day tomorrow? Instead, hit us up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Uh, We'll get to that in just a moment. But we just did our NFL picks. We always like to help you out on the college front as well. But we we bring in an expert for that, and that's Chris Felica, uh, Stanford Steve and the Bear podcast and College Game Day. And here's his tips for you this week. Hey, everyone. Chris Felica, the Bear from College Game Day, back with some more college football trends and picks and observations. And we're looking to, looking to stay hot. So I got, got a couple more uh, picks for you this weekend. The first one, uh, continuing our theme from last week, which uh, was lines that smell like manure. Uh, we got one right off the bat with uh, Kansas State as a three-and-a-half-point underdog at West Virginia. And, and this game really fits a model over the last four years. You have teams ranked 16th or lower on the road as an underdog against an unranked team. Go back to the last four years, there have been 13 instances where that's happened. The teams that are favored, the unranked favorites, are 11-2, both straight up and against the numbers. So, uh I think a lot of people would look at the ranked team on the road getting more than a field goal and say, oh, you've got to take Kansas State. But I think uh, West Virginia is the right side here, especially coming off that loss at Texas Tech where they outgained Texas Tech and Kansas State with the backup quarterback. The only team they've outgained this year has been Kansas. They've been living by the turnover. And ultimately, at some point, that's going to stop. So I'm going to go. I'm I'm on West Virginia this weekend. Uh, Second game is another stinky line, and it's Coastal Carolina who is – only a two-and-a-half or a three-point favorite, depending on what you can get. There are a lot of threes out there. Uh, at Georgia State, uh, Georgia State is a team that very easily could be unbeaten as well. Uh, it lost in overtime uh, to Louisiana. It lost late to Arkansas State. This is a team uh, with Sean Lee has put up a, over 30 points in every game. And with the backup quarterback likely again this week, I believe, for Coastal Carolina, uh, they're going to have to score more to go on the road and get a win. So I like Georgia State as a short underdog as well. And then Memphis is catching seven at Cincinnati. And give the UC defense a ton of credit for what they did last week, holding TCU to uh, to SMU rather to uh, to 13 points and under 300 yards. But SMU helped them out a lot 
with some drop passes. Uh, the score is a little bit deceiving because we had two late scores that really made that score look uh, more of a blowout than it actually was. Memphis beat them twice last year, so of course you've got a little bit of a wrench, but I don't think the Cincinnati offense is going to uh, go up and down the field on a, on a Memphis defense, which was really subpar this year, but uh, I will be taking Memphis plus the 7 at UC. So if you want more of that, uh, check out the Stanford Stephen the Bear podcast and make sure you tune in Saturday to College Game Day. Take care and have a great weekend, everyone. Stuff. Gonna be a good weekend for college football, good weekend for NFL, and it's Halloween weekend. Don't forget tomorrow, tune in for college football action as Louisville hosts Virginia Tech, presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 3:30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. All right. So Fitz, first give everybody who doesn't know uh, a little idea of just how big you and your wife Sunny go usually for Halloween. Well, you know, it, it's funny because when we first met, she was like, "Hey, I have a Halloween party. I do it with my my roommates at the time." And I was like, "I'm a grown man. I'm not going to get in a costume and celebrate Halloween." So she. Well, this uh, is all Sunny. Sunny yeah, turned she, you into yeah, this. Yeah, she. This this started with her, right? And so she came in and she's like, "I'll get the costume. All you got to do is come over and drink." So. I did, and I had way too much to drink, and it was one of the most fun parties I'd ever been to. And so then it was like, all right, let's turn this into a thing. And it's funny because the first year it was a real thing. It was uh, we had these costumes. We were living in like a, a rough part of Nashville, and uh, we opened the door, and we had one fog machine, and we both had these gory costumes. And I'll never forget a mom just looked up and said, "Oh, blank no," and walked off with her kids. Like that was it. And that's when we were like, okay, we're on to something. So it grew and grew and grew. And it became this thing where, like, the entire community at that time really became involved in Halloween because we had such a, a like, a big party. So we did a, a haunted house where the kids would have to go through the entire house. And when they got to the last room, the one year we had, like, all black plastic up. And we had a person that was a, a Navy SEAL buddy of mine, and he was in his black, so you couldn't see him. And he would jump out at the kids, and they'd run out of the house. Like, we ended up with a line of 100 kids trying to trick or treat. So <laughs> we just kept growing it and growing it. And then it became, like, a yard display, which it now is in Tennessee. So it's movies, uh, all movie themed. We have, I think, about 35 different movies this year represented in the front lawn with photo ops and opportunities to sit down. And like we have a couch that we got, you know, with a wall behind it for Stranger Things. Like you can sit down with your family and have your picture taken. And it's become kind of like that uh, that that Christmas house that everybody knows about. You know, you go through the whole community supports it. So the other part of it, though, is it, a few years ago, you know, it became a end of the world type party. You know, you got 100 people in your house. Some, you know, some you don't. There's alcohol, everybody, and everybody has the greatest night. So last year, you know, I was on uh, Golik and Wingo, and it was funny because in the morning, the, the morning after the party, uh, there were people passed out on my couch when I was on <laughs> Golik and Wingo, uh, you know, from my house doing a live remote. And I'll never forget, Trey says, do I see feet behind you? So I turned the camera around. <laughs> There were two people, and like one of my friends was still sitting there drinking as I was on air at seven Amazing. o'clock in the morning. So like it's it's funny that all of this has been such a tradition, but because of COVID nineteen, I can't be in Nashville. There's so many travel constraints between Connecticut and Nashville; it's not allowed. So uh, this will be the first time in sixteen years that I don't hang out with uh, every friend I've ever had, and then watch kids come through the lawn and uh, and turn it into a big event and have a wild debaucherous night. So instead, okay, I'll so do I some college three, football work. Yeah, I have three. Fans favorite fits related halloween facts the one uh first one is that that idea that you make this massive halloween display and it's there for like a month so everyone gets used to it and then on halloween night 
you replace it all with real people and scare the bejesus out of kids and anybody coming by, which is just such a brilliant idea to make it believable enough that people will walk by and come by later and not realize they're going to get spooked. The idea that you have at least eight or nine mannequins in a closet in your house year round to get ready for the Halloween and Christmas displays, but the rest of the year, it's just real creepy to have essentially bodies in your closet. And then the last one is when we first hosted together, the first day after Halloween, you were so bummed because you went to the Halloween store to buy all of the new exciting decorations that you wanted the day after on a massive sale, and you sat there for hours and they never showed up and opened, which just summed up to me your dedication and passion, but also sort of like the lovable loser side of your life, which is like things don't always go exactly how you want. I I mean, Uh, and then then (laughs) just thinking about how hungover I was as I sat there for hours, and then like, where's the line? Like, once you're like an hour into waiting, (laughs) you know that the minute you leave, they're going to show up and open the store, so then you got to sit there for another hour. Like, I finally... Work made me leave. Otherwise, I probably would have sat there all dang day like a moron. And don't get it twisted. Stolen stuff. I'm doing the same thing this year. The day after Halloween, I'm going to go to all the stores and sit there because I'm value oriented. Like it's a good way to get 50 percent off of stuff. Listen, you're very frugal, and I like it. Um, (laughs) We put it up. uh, Put it up on Twitter. Easy for me to say. At Sarah Spain. At Spain and Fitz. At Jason Fitz. Since he will not be throwing his massive Halloween party tomorrow, what should he do instead to enjoy one of his favorite? holidays uh we have one answer already on the spain and fitz nation uh at s lacy underscore hit us up on the dr pepper twitter feed and said carve a pumpkin make some halloween themed drinks set up some scary animatronics in the window and have a day of outrageous fun i think all of that stuff is still doable even in 2020 yeah i you know what you're you're absolutely a thousand percent right and that is part of, you know, I, I went on with Golik and Shanae earlier in a Scream costume and tried to, uh, you know, tried to have a little Halloween fun. But part of the reason I got that is because I have a college football show tomorrow night that'll be done at 8 o'clock. So I'm going to leave candy out. I know some kid's going to steal it all. I don't care. Let them have the joy. It's 2020. And then I'll get home and try and scare anybody. You should make a anybody. sign that's a lie, but it says something like um, that you have a camera up so you'll be able to see if someone takes more than their share. Oh, that's a great. If uh, that is a great idea, and you know what, <laughs> carving a pumpkin and having some animatronics in the window sounds like a heck of a way to spend. With like some bevies. Yeah, have I mean, some... might as well still have trash can punch no matter where I am. There you go. Uh, or as at themers Shaw eighty eight said, TP a Golix house. Now that is a great idea. You is need a to remarkable do that. idea. Oh, I wish I lived there. We could do it together. Woo! It would be so fun. Uh, coming up, it's the closest thing the NFL has to a college rivalry. What's it like to play in it? Next. There are some games that just get people more fired up. There are some rivalries that just feel like they do mean more. And there are some times that when certain teams are better, the entire NFL is better because of it. And it feels like we have one of those this weekend with the Steelers taking on the Ravens. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the show. Penzo Performance Line, we're brought to you by Shell V Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. So uh, I figure the best way that we can get some insights on this is to talk to somebody that's been right in the thick of it, that played in these matchups, and that know how much it means. So let's head over to the Shell Penzo Performance Line right out of the gate, Sarah where we are joined by ESPN's very own Ryan Clark. RC, thanks so much for the time. Happy Halloween, my friend. I hope you're well. And so uh, give me a little sense. <laughs> like, first, Yeah, first of all, let's start with Halloween. You, does, does Ryan Clark even eat candy when you look as good as you do? Well, I definitely eat a, I eat a ton of candy, man. You know, I'm the snacks over everything president. Um, so I eat probably too much candy. I actually do not celebrate Halloween, really, though. Wow. So, 
You're in the That's wrong place, friendo. Like, just just because you don't <laughs> like, you're not into scary stuff, or there's like a there's a is there a meaning reason? No, my so my mom used to lock me in church when I was growing up, so I never really kind of got into celebrating it because you know she was like, nah, you're gonna go to church, they're gonna lock you in church. I used to go to like Harvest Fest and all of those things growing up. Interesting. So I never really okay. so I never really got into it young, and so then as I got older, like it never. Like, it was never a big thing for me to dress up. Like, if my kids would want me to put a costume on, I would. So I usually ended up just staying at the house, being the guy that passed out the candy. But what? since I'm so, so into candy, though, always made size. We made sure we had full-size everything. There like you I go. Understood, that's that's I understood the house you want to go to. How it, yeah. Right. I that's... understood how important that was as a kid. So I did that. But as far as, like, dressing up and all that, now, nah, tomorrow night, man, I'll be in here. I'll watch Anderson Silva. In his last fight, man, and enjoy that, and open well, the door. I'm happy for, for you then. I'm happy for you because you're not missing out on nearly as much as people like Fitz, who's obsessed with it. Uh, and then you will be uh, <laughs> pr- presumably in a good space and ready to go for Sunday's big game. Uh, first place in the AFC North on the line, and, and a, a pair of uh, head coaches facing off for the 25th time in the regular season, first time ever uh, in the Super Bowl era. What's the biggest deciding factor in in the winner of this game? Uh, this year, I think it's going to be turnovers. Uh, obviously, what, what's awesome about this year's game, though, is we got away from, like, all the frou-frou stuff that we got into, right? We got into, like, we want to throw the ball to Antonio. Let's run these cute plays with Le'Veon Bell split out. We played, we paid Joe Flacco $100 million, so now we got to make sure that makes sense. So let's throw the ball around and all become sensitive and soft. And we got away from that. Now that's over. Now it's about this Pittsburgh still the defense, the Baltimore Ravens defense, the physicality and the run games of both teams and the quarterbacks making the, the requisite plays in situational football. That's what this is supposed to be. So that's what we're back to. And I think turnovers are going to tell the tale. If Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Calais Campbells, Patrick Queen, if those guys can get Big Ben to turn the ball over, give the Ravens short fields, I believe they win. But I believe it's the same on the other side. If you look at last year's game, uh, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense was able to pressure Lamar. They were able to sack Lamar. They were able to turn him over. And that's how you can stay in the game with a backup quarterback. Obviously, they saw both backup quarterbacks because Earl knocked out Mason Rudolph. But I think protecting the ball is going to be huge in the game with two teams so closely matched. You mentioned, I think it was last week on TVRC, I was watching it, and you said, you know what, I feel like I'm watching the Steelers play the type of defense I'm used to seeing the Steelers play. What have you seen when you look back on it that's been different to you about it now? Well, T.J. Watt's a freaking animal, period, point blank. You know, I, I saw Coach Tomlin in the offseason, and I was like, Coach T, man, like, did y'all know dude was going to be this good? And he was like, hell no. You know what I mean? Which I appreciated that he was honest about it. You know, But T.J. Watt is an all-time Steeler talent. Um, Cam Hayward, you know, he has that old school mentality. Vince Williams, he played, you know, with me and Troy and some of those guys who understood what the old school defense was about. And that's the way they're playing ball now. You know, they stop the run, they rush the passer, they abuse people. And that's the type of defense you want to see the Pittsburgh Steelers play. I think gone other days where we can have teams just get shut down. You know, what we saw from San Francisco, I think is going to be the outlier in years to come as far as defense. But if you can be physical, if you can sack the quarterback, and if you can turn the ball over, you can be a top-notch defense in this league, and that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers are now. Ryan Clark with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. He's on the Shell Penzoil performance line. Steelers rank first in blitz percentage, 46%. Now that's great against a guy like Lamar Jackson that can kill you, but if you miss, then he really kills you. Do you see them getting to Lamar Jackson a lot, or do they have to maybe back off on how often they're trying to blitz because of who they're facing? 
No, you go after him. Uh, last year, Lamar was crazy good against the Blitz. That's really gone down this year. I think he's ranked like 31st mm. against the Blitz. And, you know, and Pittsburgh is the best when it's Blitzburg. Like, that's that's what it's always been. With Dick LeBeau returned in 04 and 05, and you got to see the defense kicking back up. You know, went to three Super Bowls within that span. It's because they were getting after the quarterback. And they do that better than anybody right now. I think the, the big thing is is coverage on the back end. And they've done an extremely good job of keeping things in front of them other than the A.J. Brown catch and run last week. And they've given themselves extra downs to play because they have veterans in the secondary. And I think they got to keep – got to keep the pressure on Lamar. Listen, listen, if you have Lamar open field with time to make moves on you, time to figure out the, rat, the run pass options, that's when he's the best. I say you get after him early, you make him make quick decisions, and if he understands or sees the blitz is coming, he throws it. And listen – i rather the other 10 dudes, including the linemen, have the football in their hands more than Lamar Jackson. So get it out of his hands as much as you possibly can. We're talking to ESPN NFL analyst Ryan Clark, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So when you look at, at the Steelers as an organization and with your history with them, you know this so well. We've made a big deal about their ability to find wide receivers from anywhere, and Claypool looks like he's another one. Is that, in your mind, scouting? Is that coaching? Like, What is it that makes them so good at getting guys to perform so quickly as wide receivers? I think, I think it's scouting. You know, uh, the, the, the toughest matchup in 2010, we were number one ranked defense in the league. Uh, we went to the Super Bowl. We ended up losing to Green Bay. You know the most we got burned was at practice because our two rookie scout team wide receivers were Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Brown. <laughs> and they were drafted in the third and the sixth round of the same exact draft. You know, like that's, that's how good they are, whether it's Antoine Randall L., whether it's, you know, Heinz Ward, Juju Smith-Schuster, now Claypool. They just find ways to get these guys who aren't necessarily first-rounders aren't these guys you're expecting to have these huge impacts? And they just do. I mean, you can see the same thing with Deontay Johnson and James Washington, and they just do a great job of scouting. But I also think they do a great job of putting people in positions where they can excel. Like they understood who Emmanuel was and how to use him. Obviously, Antonio ends up being one of the best wide receivers of his era, of his generation. And now, you know, Chase Claypool, a guy, I don't think people were expecting to explode on the scene as he has. And, you know, he's had games where he looked like a real true number one. So you have to tip your hat to GM Kevin Colbert, obviously Mike Tomlin, who, you know, played the position in college and understands the position and some of those, you know, direct skills you're looking for and how they translate. Uh, But I'm just going to be honest. Like when you look at Chase Claypool, it's one of those things you just take a shot at. A dude that big, that strong, that fast, you figure, well, hell, if he can't if he can't do anything, it ain't our fault. He just messed it up. And so, you know, he was a great pickup, and I think he's truly added to what they can do offensively. And it gives Juju a little freedom in the slot as well. We're running out of time. I wanted to ask you quickly, do you see Des Bryant being anything for the Ravens? They sat him to his practice squad. You know, I, I don't I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily know if he adds what they needed, which was outside. Uh, he can be another inside receiver that you can count on to catch some footballs and shoot. It's one of those feel-good stories. I'm just extremely happy for him, but I don't necessarily know if he gives them what I think they needed to take the passing game over the top and make it more efficient than it's been this year. You guys can follow him on Twitter at RealClark25. As always, check him out all across every single ESPN show. Man, we appreciate late on a Friday night the time and effort, my friend. Thanks so much for joining nah, us. Nah, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. For y'all too, anything, man. Both oh, of y'all thanks, hit Ryan. Me, you know I got y'all. 
You're the best. Y'all have a good one. Uh, yep. And I, I can't say. I can't tell you how many times I tried to get him to be my co-host instead of you. Well, that's probably fair. He's <laughs> smarter. He does basically everything well, and he does it all. It, like the, the hardest part about Ryan Clark is that he does it all and makes it look easy when he does it. That's yeah, the fair. alarming part. Yeah, it's not fair. All right. Uh, obviously, uh, with, with Ryan Clark, that's a great analysis there. But we got some uh, conversation to get into the rest of the NFL slate. The Patriots facing a rare midseason must win, but is the pressure more? on their quarterback. That's next. We'll dive into it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to start with some straight talk here brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. But Sarah, the straight talk is supposed to be about football here. And we'll, we'll get to the football in a second. But before we do all of that, I got to give you the straight talk. Like, you know, I, 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 every once in a while, even though I get to work with you all the time, every once in a while, you do something that even amazes me where I sit back <laughs> and I'm like, I had no idea that she could nail it this amazingly. And I got to give you credit because you did it again today. Here's a little sample for anybody that oh. didn't see it. This is Sarah Spain. Well, of course we should be scared of a team named the Steelers, but the Ravens are far scarier. When I was working on The Crows Have Eyes, Three the Crowing, I learned a thing or two about a very cosmopolitan family of Asim passerine birds that includes ravens and crows. And Tony, you may know that it is a murder of crows, but did you know it's an unkindness of ravens? <laughs> and ravens have eyes too. Do not look them in it, Anthony. That is Sarah today <laughs> on Around the Horn doing Moira from Creek. Uh, and uh, by the way, it was spectacularly done. And uh, really, you. I mean, a, a thing or two, your your pacing on that was the moment that I fell out. Like, I was not ready for that. You nailed it, my friend. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> it was difficult. I had to watch a lot of television. Oh, God. It's uh, it's hard. It's very strange. It's a very weird accent. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I had to look up a lot of words, like timorous grinagogues. And uh, you can't make this up. I'm looking at ESPN News seeing you as Moira Rose right there on TV <laughs> at the same time. It was spectacular work. All right. Uh, that's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless, everything for less, only at Walmart. Let's get to some straight talk on the action we're going to get over the course of the weekend. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but pressure seems to be a conversation around the Patriots. And uh, mm -hmm. we knew that, that we weren't sure how this season was going to go, Sarah, but obviously everybody's watched so far the struggles of the Patriots, the struggles of their office, the offense, the struggles of Cam Newton. So the question is, at this point, is there more pressure on the Patriots or is there more pressure specifically on Cam in your mind? It's Cam because the Patriots already had this sort of built-in off year where there was an expectation of Jared Stidham starting and there's a bunch of defensive players that opted out due to COVID. A lot of people were looking at this and saying they might even be tanking for Trevor. It was, we just had two decades of incredible success. There's an expected drop-off when you lose the greatest quarterback of all time and we're okay with that. Then... Cam comes in, and after a couple good games, it's, oh, maybe they won't have to take a step back. And since then, it's been ugly. It's been really ugly. And Cam is on a minimum contract trying to prove beyond injury, beyond some off-year statistically, that he can get back to who he was. And that's not going to happen unless he 
starting now and going forward, reestablishes what we saw early in the season because he's got a whole he's, he's got none of that money that was supposed to be coming to him uh, coming his way if he doesn't pick things back up the way that we saw, you know, when he was with North Turner or his MVP season. This is what Cam had to say about what he's learned so far this season through the struggles he's enduring. Losing is not acceptable in this locker room, in this county, in this state, in this area, in this region. So Cameron Newton, you need to pick your expletive up. That's what I've learned. And I mean, I I appreciate what he's saying there, Sarah, but you know, when I look across the board, one of the things that's uh, really, I think you have to look at benefit of the doubt and where it's earned, right? Like Bill Belichick, whether people like this or not, has had so much success that I don't think there's anything that could have happened this year that wouldn't get him some level of benefit of the doubt. You're right to the tanking conversation, but frankly, even if the team just came out and looked mediocre, it's, well, we're rebuilding and we're going through a process right now. And he's earned the right to go through that process because he's had such success. While Cam has also had a tremendous amount of respect uh, of the success that I respect, that is also... It, feels like a little bit further in the rear view for him mm-hmm. like the, the injuries that have made him look so laborsome at times I think that's part of why when you watch him struggle now it's well Cam's just not Cam anymore and Belichick's coming off such recent success that we can't say that so I, I agree with you no matter what Cam says at a press conference I think he's the one that's under the microscope at this point yeah, because if the Patriots have an off year and things kind of fall apart, everyone says, listen, what did you expect from a team? You know, you blew up the, the combination that we know has been the key to the last two decades of success. If Cam never gets better and continues on the path that he's on, does Jarrett Stidham come in? Is he now on the bench? And then how does he go looking for another team to prove that he still got it if, if, he, if he couldn't make it work here? Um, I, I think there is a ton of pressure on Cam. And, you know, with, with Belichick, He's earned the right to have an off year in this transition phase. Unfortunately for Cam, because of so much of what we saw recently, whether injury plagued or not, wasn't good. He's working with a lot shorter leash. Well, and you know, you mentioned Jared Stidham. That's proved positive to me that there's no pressure on Belichick because nobody's calling for Stidham at this point uh, with the caveat, like I've said before, Remembering that last year when they were going into the draft process, people said, well, no, the Patriots don't need a quarterback. They believe in Jarrett Stidham. And now Jarrett Stidham is sitting on the bench behind just an awful version of Cam. So, like, at some point for most most organizations, I do believe that we'd be turning around and saying, well, why didn't you draft somebody? Like, why, why didn't you go after somebody else in free agency? Those are questions we would be asking if it was, in this case, the Bears or the Raiders or the yeah. Jets, you know. But we're not asking those questions when it comes to a franchise like Belichick and the Patriots because they've had so much success. So I don't think suddenly the tide's going to turn against Bill, given where they are. Now, Bill also has to acknowledge that they're about to play a Bills team that is the favorite in the East at this point. And he talked about uh, sort of how much the challenge will be for them looking at Buffalo as an opponent this week. Well, I mean, offensively, they added a player, you know, like Diggs. Uh, you know, last year they started the season, they had nine new starters on offense. So they've got more continuity than they had last year uh, when we played them in the first game. And they've added a significant player, you know, with Diggs. They drafted Gabriel, you know, drafted a receiver, drafted a running back. So, you know, made a couple of changes on the offensive line. So, you know, they've, they've added some players. I mean, Diggs is a good player. Let's start with that. Yeah, I mean, different uh, and and the timing for the Bills to be on the upswing 
while the Patriots are potentially in this lull, is great as long as the Bills can get back to sort of what we saw earlier. That last week when they nearly blew it to the Jets didn't provide a lot of confidence, and Josh Allen maybe taking a step back in recent games too. Um, if they want to take advantage of the Patriots and their struggles, they they got to put their foot on the gas. I, I think, though, when you look at the Bills' roster construction and what Belichick just said, they've added some you know incredible players, skill position players. Well, the Patriots could have done the same, and they didn't, you know. And 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 again, these are the moments where uh, I think because of the success of Bill and the Patriots, he doesn't get held under the same magnifying yeah. glass. But whatever acquisitions were made by the Bills were also, especially through trade, could have been made by the Patriots should they choose to go down that path. They thought they could do it their way. They thought that they could do things differently, and they thought they could have success doing it. Now that we see that's not the case, now I think at some point there will be a, an egg timer that starts on on Belichick and the Patriots. But I still don't think that that's at least a year away whereas cam he's he's going to be mm-hmm. washed if he doesn't get it turned around right now well and interestingly there's another team in that conference and division that is uh looking to maybe change things up a little too and it's the dolphins and here's what tua tungavaloa said about his first start and that first hit i mean it's been a long time coming but i mean that's just the nature of the game that i don't know what the hit's going to feel like every hit is different that you take in football so i'm i'm really not too sure and I, I don't think you could ever prepare for hits. Just something you got to go out knowing it's going to happen. You know, whether it's the first play of the game, first quarter, you know, or maybe third, second, fourth. You know, you just never know. Yeah, you also don't know until you get hit by Aaron Donald. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that's a big first hit. We'll get some thoughts from Miami next on how Tua will handle that first hit. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Brian! So I just. Well, of course we should be scared of a team named the Steelers. Like, I got to make sure that I'm safe. But as long as you got my back, I'm all in for that. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get exclusive pre-show party, after-party content stuff. You can only get online that you can't get anywhere else. And, of course, hear all the shows that you miss. I think we have uh, some special music for our next guest. Do we have that special music for our next guest? I believe they are working on said special music. They are working on – okay. Spain and Fitz (laughs) is presented by Progressive Insurance, cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. On a Friday, sometimes it's tough. Uh, Everyone's kind of uh, one foot out the door already, so I don't blame them. But joining us now to give us uh, uh, some insight into Tua Tagovailoa's first start with the Dolphins and the decision. There it is. It's Cameron Wolf. Coming into Werewolf Bar Mitzvah, our NFL Nation Dolphins reporter. Uh, you a 30 Rock fan? You know this jam? I don't. I've actually never heard of this. What? Um, <laughs> but it's funny. We we got to get you in on the uh, 30 Rock Hive so you can hear the full uh, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Uh, thanks for making time for us. Uh, it's a good. It's a listen. It it bops. Okay. It's it's a it's a it's a good jam. Um, Let's talk about Tua's starting debut. Is there any part of you that thinks, why wouldn't you just wait one more week so it's not Aaron Donald and the Rams? Or is this sort of uh, when you know this is your guy and he's ready, you just go? Oh, yeah. I I definitely would love for Tua not to get crushed by the monster that is Aaron Donald (laughs) this week. Um, But it isn't my choice. 
Uh, so it sort of is what it is, I guess, at this point. You know, I think we spent like a week wondering why now, you know, regarding fits and why the move is. And now we're run- wondering why now because he has to face Aaron Donald. Um, and sooner or later, we just got to figure out it, it, it is now. And we're just going to have to see how Tua does. And hopefully the Dolphins do everything they can to protect this guy because uh, he is their franchise. But Aaron Donald isn't going to feel sorry for him on Sunday. I mean, Cam, when you start, I mean, you mentioned with Fitzpatrick that you guys have already looked at that, but at some point he's going to be continually leaned on in the development of Tua. I mean, he was pretty honest about being hurt. How does he sort of compartmentalize that and still be the mentor they need him to be? No, I think you said the word there, compartmentalize. I I think, you know, when I heard him kind of speak about, you know, his heart was hurt and that he felt like his team was taken away from him, it was eye-opening for me because you don't usually hear that sort of honesty from NFL players. They usually give you the the cliches, you know, I'm, I'm for the team, whatever, you know, one day at a time. And he really gave us what he felt. But one thing, you know, I've kind of noticed about Fitzpatrick this week is, you know, I've been watching him out at practice and he's still been helping Tua. So whatever he's been feeling personally inside, um, he's found a way to try to put it aside to help Tua. Um, and, and I think that's essential for Tua. You know, Tua compared Fitz to a dad. You know, a father, he called it compared it as a father-son relationship. And I don't know if I've ever heard a player compare another player to a father um, to them, but I think that kind of shows how important he is to him. So I, I think that, you know, when, when you look at, you know, Tua's development, um, I think Fitz is a huge portion of it. And I think he's he's on board for the Tua train, even if it hurt him uh, that it started so soon. Gosh, it would also hurt me if my teammate called me a mother figure instead of, you know, an aunt. Big, <laughs> big sister always works. Uh, Kevin Wolf, NFL Nation Dolphins reporters with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Shell Penzel performance line. Um, I'm wondering if you think it's more about timing or readiness. Was there a moment where they said, by this week, if he's healthy, he's going to go? Or do you think they saw stuff in practice that said to them he's ready to win games, to succeed, to play well, versus just, you know, being healthy enough to get out there and and face the slings and arrows of the pros? Yeah, for me, it was twofold. I I think they had clearly made a decision that they were going to play Tua significant snaps in the 2020 season. I think they decided that regardless of whatever happened. And I think one tentacle of the schedule that kind of threw them off is they had initially had a bye week, week 11. And the coronavirus sort of schedule adjustment moved their bye week to week seven. So because of that, they got pushed up on maybe what was their plan to initially play him after the bye week. And they were sort of forced to, to make a decision on whether this is the time. And the second part, and I think this is the harsher part of the league, is that I think every part of the 2020 season for the Dolphins was about Tua and his development and not about Ryan Fitzpatrick. So while Ryan Fitzpatrick probably felt, hey, I'll get a chance to lose this job, I think for the Dolphins it was whenever two is ready and whenever we feel like he's ready enough, we're going to put him in regardless of how Fitz is playing. And I think both of those things combined kind of give us the situation that we have now where you know two is playing and it surprised a lot of us with timing. But for the Dolphins, they were going to see their franchise quarterback regardless, and this just ended up being when they decided to pull the trigger. So as we've been trying to figure out who the Dolphins believed they were, they spent a lot of money this offseason, especially on the defensive side of the ball. What were their expectations from what you've seen around uh, coming into the season? Yeah, I think they felt they can compete. You know, if you remember last year, they were the laughing stock of the league. Uh, I remember coming on this show last year, and we were wondering, 
you know, trying to get tank nicknames for them because they were trying to tank for Tua and, you know, what's the different tanks? Are they the worst team, you know, in, in recent history? And I think for them, they wanted to get their respect back. They, like you said, they spent a lot of money. They signed a lot of free agents, you know, Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, a lot of guys who were respected around the league. And I think for them, they thought they could really uh, compete, honestly, for a playoff spot. And I think they still believe that. You know, they're 3-3. Three and three. They're in the AFC East where the Patriots have sort of fallen off completely and it's really the bills you know they're second place in this division so i think for them they feel like this is their their first chance to really you know make their mark in the division i still think they're a year away but they think they can compete um and, and really make their mark so i think a lot of this is Tua gives them a higher ceiling than fitz does you know fitz may be better right now but i think they feel like long term and even this year they feel like if it comes to it Tua can take them places that fitz can't it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio on a Friday talking to Cameron Wolf, NFL Nation Dolphins reporter. You can follow him at Cameron Wolf on Twitter. So that's what I'm interested in is expectations around the Dolphins. Obviously, last year there was a lot of consternation about whether they were like full on tanking and if that was safe for players and was it abomination to the league what they were doing. And then they outperformed expectations. Great coaching job by Flores. And here we are with a team that's maybe a little ahead of schedule. Uh, once Tua's in there, how long do they have in terms of real expectations to contend? Right. So when, when your franchise quarterback comes in there, the clock kind of expedites, right? Yeah. So I already can foresee it on Monday. You know, Tua's going to either be, you know, Don, the second coming of Dan Marino, or he's going to be a bust, depending on how he plays on Sunday. So it's just sort of the society we live in where there's going to be, you know, quick take perspectives. I think that there should be a little bit of patience. You know, I think we do have to remember that it's been nearly a year for this guy playing, you know, real meaningful football. So I don't know if he's going to come out and light it up. You know, my expectation for him may be a little lower than sort of the initial public, you know, for week his first week. Because I've seen him in practice, and he's had his ups and downs. And I think he's still getting his, you know, grips uh, upon himself. But I think once he gets the flow of things, once he gets flowing – then expectations are going to uh, rightfully rise to a very high level. I think this team has the potential with Tua in his helm to be a championship team, you know, down the line. It's just about when that comes about. I still think they need to build their team uh, a little bit more. I think 2021 is a year where you can circle and say, hey, this team can compete for the division that year. And then maybe by 2022, you can look at them as a true championship uh, contender. So I, that's my timeline. But I, I think if you ask Dolphins fans, they think they can win this year. Do you think they're a playoff team this year, Kim? I, I think when you look, they got, there's a 17 playoff spectrum. So I think it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they snuck in in that seventh spot. But if you had to ask me, I, I don't think they're a playoff team. I think there's too many holes on this team uh, for them to make it at this point. And what is your expectation for Tua this weekend? Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of quick quick strike uh, passing for him. Um, you know, I was watching him just up in practice earlier today. He has a beautiful deep bomb. And I think he'll eventually get to show it off, just not this week against Aaron Donald and the Rams. You know, this is a this is a defense where, you know, they're the second-ranked defense in the league. Uh, Aaron Donald's been feasting all day. Um, you've got a young offensive line with the Dolphins. I think you're going to see them try to, you know, create a lot of 
um, very quick, easy routes for, for Tua, whether it be slants, whether it be screens, whether it be play-action routes, things that can get him in chemistry. And I think you'll also see him you know, have a few RPO routes, which he was really good at in college. So I think that'll be the, the flow of what you see for Tua, you know, trying to get the ball into playmakers' hands rather than have him you know, try to you know, hold the ball for four or five seconds to be a superstar. Um, and, and then I think as you see time go on, you'll see a little bit more of him being allowed to be that playmaker. But at least in this week, I think you'll see him, you know, sort of lean on his other teammates and let them make the plays um, as he try to get, tries to get integrated in the NFL. Looking forward to watching it. I know you got a lot of prep for that game, but make sure you take some time aside and go look up Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> this is your new theme song, especially in the Holloway season. So you got you to make yourself familiar. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate right. it. I'll check it out. <laughs> Keep talking, Wolf, to my friend. NFL Nation Dolphins reporter with us on Spain and Fitz. Tua is hoping to get in the zone this Sunday against the Rams. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Coming up, it's a Friday. We'll get into it and your Halloween suggestions for Fitz next. Spain and Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on the eve of All Hallows Eve. And it's a Friday, which means we got to get in some Friday. We made it to the end of another week. That's right. It's Friday. Friday. Yeah. Friday. Friday. That's right. It's a Friday. And it's a special Friday because tomorrow is Halloween. And that is Fitz's second favorite holiday. Uh, yes, somehow the man who has eight to ten mannequins in his home year-round uh, is only a second favorite holiday. Uh, Christmas still takes the cake, but uh, you also do a full mannequin display for Christmas too, I guess. So those mannequins are multi-purpose. That's why they're a good value. I mean, the, course, the fact yeah. that like, like good I stopped use of space in the house I, a long time ago. I used to own. buy like all the big animatronic everything, and it's nice. Like animatronics are a really important part of of Halloween. But for the most part, part of the reason I transitioned to hollow or to uh, mannequins is because you realize you buy one mannequin and then you can just buy a costume and a Christmas costume. So, yep. you know, he can be Michael Myers and then suddenly, bam, he's Buddy the Elf. Do you have plans for this year? Is, is Are there new additions that you're that you're working on? For Christmas? No. Like, I'm just holding on for dear life. I mean, you know, the 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 response uh, to Halloween has been incredible and you know, the, the fact that we were able to last weekend, uh, you know, Sunday was able to raise $3,000 for the Humane Society just awesome. from people walking through. Like, I think those are the moments that I look at and say, wow, you know, I, I'm I'm so in that moment. But yes, uh, the, the weird part about me is that while I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting for the 50% off deals at Spirit Halloween <laughs> on Sunday, I will have Mariah Carey cranking with some Christmas music yeah. all at once. It's a well, weird and dichotomy. That, that brings us to a great, a great uh, suggestion from somebody. We asked people uh, to join us on the Spain and Fitz Nation and hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz with some ideas for things you can do tomorrow to make up for the fact that for the first time in 16 years, you're not having a massive Halloween party. And there's some pretty good ones. Let's give me a yay or nay on some of these ideas. To your point, someone uh, at Justin McElway said, get really drunk and put up Christmas lights. 
I mean, that's not a bad idea, but I'm not particularly coordinated, so I'm going to go nay on that because oh, if I'm up here and I fall off that. the la- like if I fall off the ladder in Connecticut, you know, who's going to save me? Uh, so you know that Fair that's point. I, I got to worry about. Certainly not that. the neighbors that you offended with your language during the Raiders. Game. Well, that is you know. Did uh, you ever bring his, them cookies, by the way? Uh, I no, I did not. Uh, wow. You know, but the other thing is, I got to thinking about it, and I have to listen to his barbershop choir sing in the lawn once a week, and they're not good, right? I but I haven't gone the out there and told them that. I hope he's not listening. You know why I didn't take him, him cookies? Honestly, you know what? Artistically you know, and musically. You know why I didn't joy. take him cookies, Sarah? This why? is a real you story. Bake? I, no, I can. I, I mean, cookies. You just slice them, bake, throw them in. But here, here's the here's the real story. I watched the alderman that's, that lives next to me. I watched him rake the leaves out of his lawn and then just conveniently put them in my lawn because he believes they're coming from my tree. All right, wow. you start putting lawn like leaves in my lawn because you think they're coming from my tree, not yours. That's such I'm a, out. That's such stupid suburban beef. Like oh. just like the dumbest stuff. I think that tree is actually planted on my lawn. Uh, it is crazy brutal. too. Like I, I'm, I'm getting a fence, and every time they've come out to measure the fence, he comes out and he walks the entire process with the guy measuring oh, the fence no. to let them know where the fence can actually go. This is the guy that that you offended with your language, or a different neighbor? No, the same guy. I offended oh, with boy. my language. So what a mess. you know, blank right, well, him. Well, here's here's a suggestion for tomorrow <laughs> that might go in hand in hand with that neighbor. At VA Philly six twenty four said, construct a catapult and see how far Reese's can fly. Oh, now that. That is the best idea ever. Like that is a that is spectacular. Especially like if I do, could I do this while I uh, TP Golik Junior's house? Like I could actually catapult. Yeah, and then pe- at Dicky C six twenty said, "Egg the neighbors' houses. It's the only way." Okay, but egging egging is good, but catapulting Reese's peanut butter cups is better, right? I well, mean, but here's the thing: I don't want to give up Reese's peanut butter cups. Catapult milk duds and whoppers. Just fill your neighbor's roof. With milk duds and whoppers using a catapult. I could also catapult uh, the Butterfinger peanut butter cups because those are not as good. No, but they're still edible. I mean, I'm not going to go wasting chocolate that you might need on a rainy day unless it's milk duds and whoppers because malted milk is disgusting. I think that, that we can all agree on that. that. that now Even we do you, agree. You have a trash palate. We, we, found, a, we found a candy we take that we'll we agree, agree on. on. Sweet. Uh, at Zeus, 918690399, rolls right off the tongue. Get drunk and play air violin. <laughs> no, uh, well, I mean, uh, frankly, I've got a real one in the house. Yeah. So if I'm going to get drunk and play, do that I'll for just the neighbors. Yeah. You're like, how about this? You miss the swearing, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I'll, go, I'll get really tanked and just stand outside of the neighbor's <laughs> lawn and can pr- repeatedly play "If I Was a Rich Man" from Fiddler on the Roof just to see how long it oh takes before God. that annoys him. Uh, well, thank you to everyone who joined us on Spain and Fitz Nation. Hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. Appreciate the suggestions. I don't know if they're going to ease the dark dark hole in Fitz's heart uh, on this Zoom-o-ween. But, uh, uh, you know, it's worth a shot. Maybe maybe watch your favorite scary movie at night, too. I mean, that. do you have a favorite scary movie? I have become different in my old age. When I was younger, I preferred watching scary movies, and now I just don't have the temperament for it. I remember watching Candyman with my friends, and that one really... And you know they're remaking Candyman with Jordan Peele. Right, which is going to be Which is going to be wild. So the last scary movie I tried to watch was actually a Jordan Peele. It was Us. Mm. I tried to watch it on a plane thinking to myself, well, I can't be that scared because there's people everywhere around me. But it was like an international flight, so everyone was asleep. So it was dead silent. And I'm digging my fingernails into my husband's arm, and he's asleep as well. And I'm like, I can't finish watching this. And so I shut it off. So I still haven't even seen the end of the movie. That is that is so spectacular. And I love the <laughs> just the imagery 
of him just sleeping through all of that. It's like, what? Just sleeping. The whole plane is asleep. The lights are off. And I'm as tense as a board in my seat. Like, (gasps) but I can't make any noises and I can't say anything and I can't scream. So it's like, I'm turning this off. I've, I've gone back and forth on this over the years because the original Halloween is it for me. Like, Michael Myers is everything. Like, I think he's the... The absolute uh, president of the class. He's the the top, the number one scary movie anything. Mm-hmm. But there is a part of me that every time I watch Scream, I I just can great ble- movie. I, I appreciate the brilliance of the writing of that yeah. movie, and that's yeah. always the thing that that while I don't think Scream is nearly as scary as Halloween, there's a spot for me no, where it's like it's just better of written. It, it yeah. changed the game in in a way. I'm still haunted by whichever Halloween it was where the kids wore those squishy plastic pumpkin masks, and then bugs came out and ate their face. Okay, which is, by the way, in the lawn in Nashville. And that's Halloween 3, Season oh, of the Witch. That's the, in your lawn right now? Yeah, of course, yeah. Like a little Please kid with the bugs. Please send me a photo yeah. so I can have more nightmares. That has haunted me for life. I remember watching it on my parents' bed with like a bowl of popcorn, thinking it wasn't all that serious. And however many years later, I still think about it all the time. Well, and, and that's the, the sort of chaotic part about that one, is that they tried to get away from Michael Myers. They were going to make it a, a Halloween movie instead about the season, not about Michael Myers. And it was so poorly received that they brought my, Michael Myers for Halloween 4. But the funny thing is, I think if people just watched it as Season of the Witch, they would love it. I, it's a great movie, I think. It's just not along the same lines as the rest of the Halloween movies. Well, it's terrifying is all I have to say about that. And yeah. this is coming from somebody who has recurring nightmares about a foot-long spider dangling above my head and also has recurring nightmares about a shadowy figure in the corner of the bedroom that requires me to turn on all the lights, jump out of bed, say things, and Brad for the millionth time, like, it's it's nothing, you're fine, there's no one there, it's fine. Like, all the time, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know where this comes from. But I think it's from that Halloween movie. I really do. Um, Fitz, Freddie and Fitzsimmons is coming up. I hope you have a great Halloween tomorrow. I hope you somehow... Find somewhere to have some fun. Maybe throw one of your mannequins in the neighbor's window. You know. Hey, everybody. It's the Spain and Fitz after party. Night before Halloween. Fwam, fwam, fwam. I was mean, my ham horn. What was that? My little horn. You know, the fwam, fwam, fwam. The horn. You did not nail that. No. Well, uh, it know. sounded actually like uh, in The Little Mermaid when the seagull wants to try to sing but can't. Oh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Like Sebastian's really throwing it down. And then the seagull's like, wah. And tries to be romantic and kiss the girl, but it doesn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll take that. Deep I mean, cut. I, I Deep that. cut. I hope you caught it. I hope everyone caught that. I mean, that, that's it's, it's a process, okay? You know, mermaid. not all of my. There we go. I pulled that up on my phone. There we go. I got you there. Um, yeah, I'm 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 excited to figure out ways to make your Halloween special tomorrow. I think you can change costumes during your college football work. I think uh, you can make an orange drink. You can watch some Halloween shows. Um, you can harass your neighbors. I really think the TPing of the Golics is the way to go. Um, somehow, some way, I trust that you will make your Halloween special. Um, even if it's just you and Sonny sending each other videos back and forth of do, a variety so of weird things. We talk so much about mine. Like, what are you going to do for Halloween? So I'm not sure yet. I'm very excited that I got to dress up for Around the Horn today because, as you know, I'm obsessed with Halloween costumes. And were I to not go to any party and do anything, I would have been a lot more bummed. But I at least got to scratch the itch today and dress up as Moira Rose and do an accent and all the fun stuff. Um, tomorrow, we're, we're going to see how I'm feeling. But I think I'm going to do one of those PVC pipe um, tubes, like the candy shoots. But instead of just what a lot of people in my neighborhood are doing where it just keeps you six feet away, I want to do a long one from the second floor window of my house 
leaning off the top of the fence that leads to our yard and with a huge sign that tells kids and like a little bell so that I'll just be hanging out up there. And then if they ring the bell, I'll pop up and chuck some candy down the chute and it'll go flying out into their buckets. That's okay. Like, is there any like necessary? Do you have to learn like engineering for this? You just pop it down no, like you got it's it. It's just like PVC pipe, basically. And we already have some of that because we always make my well, I say we, but it's my husband and his engineer friend. They make this elaborate way to walk to our house for Christmas that has lights and disco balls, and it's like a beautiful hallway made of lights, and it's all made out of PVC pipe. So we have PVC pipe. So that's really all you need to do is, and and if you go online, there's actually um, directions on how to cut up the pipe and make a shoot. You can even use one of those plastic Halloween buckets at the end, and that's where like the pipe comes out of the mouth. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's like that is well thought. Like, but you dropped like the the subtle part of that was your husband's engineer friend. Like, because I feel like I try right. to buy to right. build some sort of a pipe here. Yeah. We'll see. It would never. It would never work at, at that point. Yeah. Absolutely. This one's easy though. I mean, it's really just it's really just a tube. Um and so, you know, yeah, you just fair. get the you just get the PVC pipe and then you ma- you have to make sure it's angled right so that the candy doesn't get stuck in the middle while it's like halfway down to the kids. Um <laughs> what I would like to do is really grease it up so it comes flying out and the kid needs to have like a little bit of athleticism to make it work because I I want to make sure that I'm really making sure that the most athletic kids get the most candy and the rest sort of take one in the face first before Well, as the non-athletic kid for so much of my life, I would love to <laughs> like I I'm the opposite. I want to troll somebody and be like, "Nah, you can't get the like especially when I was in my fat stage, like watching a fat kid not be able to get the candy would be kind of funny." Aww, I mean, but it's not nice, fats. but you know that look, I lived it. I lived it. So, I can laugh <laughs> about it now. Uh, well, we we uh, we ended the show kind of being sad about how we're not getting our usual Halloween and how people are naming it Zoomoween, which is the most depressing thing ever. God, yeah, that's uh, but I saw actually a happy story that I think we should mention before we send people on their merry way this weekend, and it's from the new owner of the Mets. Um, this uh, purchase is great news for anyone who's a Mets fan. There's always hope in something new, a new regime taking over and and hopefully making things better. But Steve Cohen, the new owner, uh, was just approved by Major League Baseball, and he released his initial objectives of of how to change the franchise, but also took care of some important off-field obligations that were not required. He donated, or promised to donate, $17.5 million to small businesses in New York City to help them with the ongoing pandemic, plans to dramatically increase the giving of the Mets Foundation and priority given to nonprofits and causes in the community around City Field, but also... He pledged to take care of all Mets employees, unionized groundskeepers, security guards, engineers. They're going to get a reinstituted pre-pandemic salary as of November 1st, reversing the 5 to 30% salary cut that was implemented in March. That's about a $7 million commitment to those employees and established a new seasonal employee relief fund so that about 1,000 employees who work at the stadium as subcontractors would be eligible to get $500 a month from November 1st until opening day. It's about another $2.5 million commitment. Now, he's worth $14 billion, so congrats on that. But still... The other owner was doing this, and plenty of other owners are firing uh, uh, staff members instead of doing uh, good things like this. So props to the Mets, I guess. Well, I, and not only that, Sarah, but I mean, I would say you want to talk about a way to make an immediate culture change within yeah. the building. I mean, that that's what this is about, right? And and you're absolutely right that you know we can look at the the billions of net worth and the millions being spent. 
and make it very simple. But, uh, you know, at the same time, to your point, not everybody does it. And it becomes very dangerous when you look at people with a lot of money and presume how they should run their business or spend their money. So I always look at these things and say, okay, I'm not going to fault somebody else for not doing it within their business plan. But my God, to do it is such an immediate statement because, frankly, Mm -hmm. you're helping everybody at a time when help is needed. It's so necessary. If you have the means, it's incredible to do that. But also, you're telling everybody, hey, first and foremost, before I invest in players, before I invest in facilities, I'm going to invest in the people in the halls. And I I believe genuinely that leadership is top down when you do that, when you invest in people as human beings – you win people, and that that's going to get harder work out of everybody. That's going to get a, a better attitude every, out of everybody. It's an immediate culture change. So, yeah, I think this is a time I'm to, worried, though. to stand what up and give a chance. What if the Mets aren't a joke anymore? Then, <laughs> then I guess we still ha- will always have the Jets. Yeah, I mean they rhyme, so there's only one letter that's different. So you know we got we got time. Like we we I got just time. don't want to live in a world where the Mets are successful or efficient or not a complete joke. Well, you know, let's just they're, – they're paying some things, doing some nice things. That doesn't mean that they're going to be great that's on the true. field. That's one step yeah. at a time. Eh, I don't know if any of that's going to translate to hits. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I also love the fact that the Mets were in the World Series not that long ago. But because it's been such a disaster since then, we kind of just, you know, just slide right over that successful year or two and we're right back to just them being trash. I am so – as I continue to watch L.A. celebrate and gloat, I keep looking at it saying at some point it's got to be New York's turn. Like just as a city at some point, okay. there, there's got to be some New York has had enough. I don't think we need to feel sorry for New York. I do sometimes feel sorry for the Mets and the Jets fans that double, and that are also Knicks fans, because holy shit. I mean, Chris Mitchell is, is uh, transparency here. He's one of those. He's one of those sad people who roots for all of the worst things. He's giving us all sorts of Mets glory here. Sarah, oh, I don't man. even know what to do with this. I- well, uh, I'll tell you something, Fitz. I I uh, I uh, I'd feel bad for Chris Mitchell, but um, maybe maybe just maybe this is a tiny little step towards something that he can be, you know, joyful about. Something that can make him feel good. Something that isn't just an abject disaster. It's, you always feel better when you start a season and you're proud of the owner of your team. Let's just look at it that way. Then they get on hey, the field you and you go. realize they suck. Wonder what that's like. All right, on that <laughs> note, there's so few in sports. It's really a problem. Uh, look up Malika Andrews reporting, and you'll see what we're talking about. Uh, Fitz, have a great Halloween. As Moira Rose would say, take care of yourself. <laughs> Be safe. Oh, that's so well done. That is just so, that that's, God, that's Everybody such a Everybody, have a great weekend. Snickers it's Ben and Fitz.